Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. What an incredible privilege to be serving, uh, celebrating rather, 25 years as a church this morning. Isn't it incredible? We can't celebrate it enough. And it's God's faithfulness that we're celebrating. We're so grateful for the people he's brought here and lives he's changed. And we're looking forward to 25 more years. I just want to underscore one thing that Robbie had said uh, about the pastor project. Would love for you to come out on Wednesday night. Just had one on Friday night. It was a lot of fun. I enjoy getting to know people, talk about the future of the church. You get to meet people, even in social distance environment, you could do that. So sign up for that. Make sure you you come out for the pastor project one of these times, even this Wednesday. And I'll tell you this about the 25th anniversary. We have every intention, to the degree which we're able to, to celebrate our 25th anniversary throughout the course of this year. So today is prayerfully just the beginning to that. Speaking of prayer, let's go to the Lord now and ask him to teach us this morning from his word. God, thank you so much for this morning and and the wonderful singing that we've been able to participate in this morning to glorify your name. We're grateful, Lord, for your word. We're grateful for prayer. And yes, Lord, we say great is your faithfulness for these 25 years in the life of this church. And Lord, we see it as just the beginning, that there there are 25 years ahead of us now, perhaps 25 years beyond that. That is, Lord, if you don't return between now and then. No matter what, Lord, we want to live to serve you and know you and grow into the likeness of Jesus. So this morning as we open the scriptures, we pray you teach us. Help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a college student, I had a buddy who was attending a little church on the other side of the tracks called Mount Olive Baptist Church. And so I started to go to Mount Olive for worship, and they had a wonderful minister there, a guy named Reverend Jonathan Ragsker. And Reverend Ragster was a powerful preacher, a good man, young guy, full of energy. And uh, he, he didn't have many college students who were a part of the life of the church. And so he invited me and my buddy, after a while, to come to his house for dinner. And his wife made this great spread for us. He had little girls, kind of like me, and, and uh, had a great time having, having lunch with them and getting to know their family. Well, afterwards, after lunch, that is, something really impactful happened in his kitchen. You see, I was going in there to clean off my plate, putting the chicken bones into the trash and putting my plate into the sink. And Reverend Ragster came in there and and he was talking to me. And he asked me a question. I'll never forget this. He said, what are you going to do with your life? And I was studying to be a teacher. So I said, well, I'm going to be a teacher. He said, yeah, but but what are you going to do with your life? Meanwhile, I'm like, didn't I just answer this question? <laughs> what do you mean? What am I going to do with my life? Do I have to explain this? But I was polite, and I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe someday I'll, I'll be a principal. Maybe I'll get a, a master's degree and, and, and take the next step as a teacher. And he put down his plate, and he said, young man, you don't understand. I'm asking you, what are you going to do with your life? And I knew what he meant in that moment. It actually blew my mind because I had never had a deep thought in my life as a 19-year-old. I didn't have any thoughts about 
what my deepest desire was. Because what Reverend Ragster was really asking me, and this is a question that's really informed the rest of my life since this time, is this, what's my deepest desire? I'll ask you the question, you can consider it. What is your deepest desire in life? What is it that you want to do with your life? What is it that, that, that God, you feel like, has maybe put on you? Is it something meaningful? Is it something lasting? Do you have a deepest desire at all? There's all sorts of answers that can come to that question. I put it before you as something to consider. In the passage that Pastor Robbie just read to us this morning, we see a person who absolutely had a deepest desire. And that deepest desire was met in Jesus. We're going to look at the passage today. We're continuing in our series called Unpacked. And through this series, what we're doing is we're giving you a way that you can approach the scriptures by asking some very simple questions. For instance, whenever you read a passage of scripture, and we do hope that you're reading the scriptures on your own at home. When you read the scriptures, you can ask questions like this. Who are the characters? And of course, we say characters. These are real historical figures. Who are the people in this story? That's a good question to ask. And, and perhaps, what do we know about these people? You can also ask this question whenever you're reading the scriptures. You could say, well, what are the themes that I see in this passage? What, what life circumstances does the passage speak to? And then finally, and I think this is a very important question to ask whenever we're reading the scriptures. What's the purpose? I mean, what's the main idea? What's the takeaway from this passage? We're going to examine these. We are in Mark chapter 7. I'll tell you this. Um, this narrative about this woman who had a child who had need appears also in Matthew's gospel, chapter 15. So I'm going to give you lots of Bible verses this morning. I would encourage you to write these things down. You could actually practice this narrative analysis, critical analysis that we're talking about by asking yourself about characters and themes and the purpose in your own Bible reading time at home. And I'm going to give you lots of passages you can go back to throughout the course of the week. But today, we are in Mark 7. Let's go there now and let's talk about first the characters that we see, the people that we see in this passage. And of course, first and foremost is Jesus. Jesus is in this passage, and of course, Jesus is always the hero of the story. And there are many things that we could say about the person of Christ. There are many descriptors that we could attach to his name. In particular, in this passage, there's one very important descriptor that I want us to look at this morning, and that's this. Jesus is, is portrayed as the healer in this story. In fact, if we look at the ministry of Jesus, three years of earthly ministry, those years were characterized by him doing good and healing people. Search the scriptures for yourself. Look at the gospels and you'll find that over and over again, we see Jesus doing good and healing people. And so I would suggest that there are, there are two really important things. Whenever we see a healing, whenever we see these miracles of Jesus, two very important things that are going on that they are saying to us. Here's the first very important thing. They are assigned to us. Whenever we see a miraculous healing, it's intended to be a sign to not only the people of the day who saw these, these miracles take place in person, but also to us. I'll take you to John's Gospel, chapter 20. Here's one of those Bible verses you can write down. You know, the, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, barely, very plainly states what the purpose 
of these miracles, these signs are, listen, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, he says. But these, these signs are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, Jesus displayed his divine power and attested that he is the Son of God through these miraculous signs, these healings. These are really important. They're written down because no one else has ever done these things. No one else has ever displayed this kind of power. No one else has this track record. And so these signs, these healings, are there for us to, to, to show us evidence that he is indeed the Son of God. So the first thing that we see whenever we, we know there's a healing, we see Jesus as healer, it's telling us it's a sign, the point to who he really is, the Son of God, the Messiah. There's a second part of it, though. Whenever we see a healing, it's a display of compassion. A display of compassion. This is important. I want to take you to Matthew 9.36. I'm going to read actually 9.35 and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was moved by compassion for those in need. This is incredibly important to us. You see, the spiritual needs of people are of great importance, but we must not ignore their physical needs. This is why we go to Urban Impact. And what do we do? We provide food. We provide tutoring. We provide all sorts of education in the arts. And why do we partner with them to do that? So we could address spiritual needs. We address the physical needs so we can actually address the more prominent need, the spiritual need that we all have in common. This is reflective in all our ministries. When Pastor Robbie works with our middle school kids, what's he do? He gives them pizza. We meet their physical need with something that's not very nutritious, to be honest with you. But it's filling, and they like it. And he plays games with them. And he takes them to West Virginia, and they do all sorts of things in the water. Why do we do those? We want to meet a need. And there's a need in a middle school kid to have fun, to simply have some fellowship and to have friends. But really what we want to do is address the spiritual need. Jesus has modeled this for us. Jesus' ministry was one that was twofold. He's the healer. But first he met physical needs. He healed physical needs so he could really do the real work of healing, which is the inward need, the need for salvation, which makes me want to say to everyone who's listening, whether you're at home or if you're in this room right now, Jesus is the healer as, the play, display, uh, this, uh, as depicted in the, in the Gospels. But his healing work did not cease when he left this earth, when he was resurrected. Jesus is still the healer, healer today. He has not changed. And yes, there are evidences of, of the healing power of Jesus physically. And we certainly would pray for those things for anyone who has need. And sometimes we see that God, because he can, does heal. Other times, that healing does not take place to the other side of eternity, until heaven. But here's what we know for sure. The power to heal is absolutely applicable and ready, waiting for you to turn to Christ and receive the healing of his forgiveness. 
We are all conflicted. We are all, uh, we all have the, the, the condition of sin. And so we, each of us, can be healed by the power of Jesus, his forgiveness, and that is for you today. If you've come into this place, a rough week, you've gone astray. Your tongue has got the best of you. Your temper has got the best of you. You haven't been the person that you wish you would be. Listen, the healing power of Jesus, the healer, it's available for you today. It's real for you today. And I can guarantee this, if you will turn to him, he will delight in healing you through his power of your sin. It's true. So we see Jesus is the healer. There's a second person in the story that's very important, and that person is the Syrio-Phoenician woman. The Syrio-Phoenician woman. Now, that's important because she's from the province of ancient Syria. We're going to talk a little bit about that later on. More importantly, I want to point out to you two characteristics of this woman. The first is this. She is undoubtedly a seeker. This Syrio-Phoenician woman is someone who was seeking Jesus. And by the way, in the context of a culture that wasn't interested in Jesus, these were not, these were not Jewish Christians. These were not people who knew the God of Israel. And yet, this woman is a seeker. Let me tell you about her example as a seeker. What does she do? Did you hear, Robbie? She throws herself at the feet of Jesus, physically. Throws herself at his feet. You could see a composite of this between Matthew 15, where this story also occurs, and Mark 7. She, she, she humbles herself before him. And not only that, she gives herself up to be ruled by him. She recognizes that he's, he's Lord, he's king. And she gives herself up to him. It's amazing. She is a great picture of someone who is seeking Jesus. And you might say, well, how do I throw myself at Jesus' feet? How do I actually do these things? Well, I think it comes down to desperation. Are you desperate to know God through Christ? What's your desperation level? Are you comfortable? Are you, are you kind of like in this lukewarm place? Or are you really desperate because of your own sense and understanding of your own depravity? Are you desperate today to know Christ? Not just sometime back in the past. Today, this woman was seeking Jesus and she was desperate to meet him. She had to hear from him. I wonder what our desperation level is. And you might say, well, you, Craig, you don't understand. You don't know what my family background is. You don't know what my current circumstances are. You, you don't know what's happening in my life, or, or you're not paying attention to what's happening in the world. Well, this woman also had obstacles. If you think you have obstacles, listen, she had obstacles. Let's look at the obstacles that she had in her life. She had obstacles to seeking God, her nationality. She was a Gentile. She was not a Jew. Jesus, a Jewish man, his disciples, Jewish men, she was a Gentile. They didn't mix. Not only that, she was a Greek, which means that her religion was something other, again, than what Jesus and his followers had as their background. So she had, she had nationality against her and religion. She had the fact that she was a woman against her. This woman was in a society dominated by men. And so for her to come before Jesus was unheard of. It was a huge obstacle for her. Satan was a huge obstacle for her. Did you catch this? I mean, she's got a demon who has taken control of her daughter. 
I know that sounds really weird to you. A lot of you watch the show Supernatural. You know what this looks like. These are, these are things that have taken place in the world. There are supernatural powers. And so there was a demon who had possessed her daughter. You talk about an obstacle, something that's discouraging, something that would throw you off. If you read Matthew 15, again, the composite of these two stories, you'll see that the disciples were against her. The disciples were trying to keep her away from Jesus. They thought Jesus needed to take a nap. And not only that, she could have, and this is my commentary, it's possible this woman could have felt for a moment at least that even Jesus was against her. You ever feel that way? That maybe is God for me or against me? It seems like he's pushing against me. In this story, for a moment, I think this woman may have felt like that Jesus was against her. But in spite of that, she is seeking God. You got obstacles in front of you, don't let it hinder you from seeking God. We push through, we persevere. The woman is a great obstacle of that. She was a seeker despite the fact she had these obstacles in her life. Now, we've looked at the people involved in the story. We could talk more about them, but let's go to the themes of the story. There are three I want to point out for you. There's probably more that you could find, but there's three that I'm excited to share. And, and, and the first one is this, prayer. I believe that prayer is a major theme of this passage. Now, if you're paying attention to the text, if the Bible's in your lap, you might say, prayer? It doesn't even say the word prayer here. There's no one here who appears to be praying. But I would say this, her interaction with Jesus is absolutely a prayer. It is a portrait of what prayer looks like. I mean, she is pleading with God. Read Matthew 15. Read Mark 7. She is pleading with God, shouting out to him, calling out to him, crying out to him saying, Lord, help me. It's a portrait of prayer. And, and this miracle that happens, listen, there's no teaching that could reach the mind of her daughter who was demon-possessed. There was, there was no medicine that could heal the body of this girl. It absolutely depended on Jesus working a miracle. This reminds us of things we see in the gospel. If you go to John chapter 4, there's a government official who, whose son is healed at Capernaum. In Luke 7, there's the centurion servant that's healed by Jesus. In Mark 5, you see Jairus' daughter healed by Jesus. Over and over again, we see Jesus taking an interest in people who come to him and bring their children to him and say, heal them. It's powerful. And so we have this example that through prayer, a cure, and by the way, it's a cure that cannot be obtained any other way. It's a cure that is obtained through no human beings, but only through the power of turning to God in prayer. That's what we see here. No human way could obtain this cure. It's only through the power of prayer. This passage, I believe, the theme here, is intended to encourage us to pray for others, simply put. To pray for people, pray for your children, to pray for your grandchildren, to pray for your spouse to pray for the sick, to pray for the lost, to pray for our nation, to pray for our world. The list goes on and on. This list is, this passage is, is a theme to point us to be a people of prayer like this woman who was desperate to go before God and say, God, help me. We need your power. We need, we need to see your hand move. There's no other way this is going to change. I wonder 
Though we say that we're a people of prayer, I wonder how much we actually live that out. I'll ask myself the question in front of you all. And the truth of the matter is this, I can pray more. How about you? And we say we believe in the power of prayer, but are we actually living that out? I believe that if we want to see the darkness of the world that's going on today, the lack of health, you want to talk about things that are potentially supernaturally charged in a dark way, it's going to require prayer for change to happen. How's change going to happen in our country? How's change going to happen in our world? It'll happen through the power of prayer, not education. No offense, we love medicine, we love, we love it. There are scientists who are working, bless them. But we believe ultimately in the power of prayer. And so will we be a power, praying people? I'll tell you this, where there is prayer, there is always hope. You're not hopeless. If you're a person who loves God, you are not without hope because where there is prayer, if you'll pray, then there's always hope. There's hope for our nation. There's hope for our city. There's hope for our church. Hey, there's hope for our world. If we will be a people who pray, it's absolutely a theme here. And prayer starts with us having a relationship with God. At home, you're watching this. If you want to be a person of prayer, it begins with you having a relationship with Jesus, and it all emanates from there. Prayer is simply an extension of our relationship with God. People, let's be a people of prayer. Are you with me? That's how we're going to change things. That's how things will change. We won't change them. God will change them. Prayer is a theme of this passage. We can go on and on about that. We should do a sermon series on it. In fact, I think we will. Um, let's talk about parenting, okay? Because I see parenting as a great theme in this passage. I think this woman was an incredible parent. We don't know a whole lot about her, but from what we do know about her, she was an awesome, awesome parent, and I think we can learn some things from her. I'll say this, though, about parenting. Parents cannot give their children new hearts. Parents can't give their children new hearts. A little story to illustrate. So my wife and I have, have children, and to protect their identity, I won't mention names here, so we'll refer to them as child X and child Y, okay? So child X and child Y, when they were little, Little, little people. My wife one day was going to make us a breakfast of homemade pancakes. Child X and Child Y were very, very excited about this. But Child Y was locked up in her room, a room that she shared with Child X. And, and as Child X heard about the pancakes, she went and started to bang on the door so she could get inside of Child Y's room where she was locked up. Well, Child Y would not open the door. So Child X continued to bang even more loudly and yell and kick and hit the door. Eventually, Child Y relented, opened the door, and when she had opened the door, she had in her hand a rainbow loom. You know what a rainbow loom is? It's this really sweet thing that little girls use to make bracelets, to weave these little, like, you know, necklaces and things like this. It's really sweet. But this day it wasn't so sweet because Child Y took said rainbow loom and used it like a hammer to nail the head of child x really hard just banging this rainbow loom on the head this is a violent household what can i say of course child x started to cry very loudly and scream and the worst part was this my wife said no pancakes and then i was really mad <laughs> you think maybe my kids need new hearts course they do and listen i know this it's not just my kids 
And, and if, if you say it's just my kids, then you're kidding yourselves. Look, children need new hearts, but parents cannot give that. And so we know this is true. We know that we can give our kids Christian education. I love that. You know, there's some homeschool families in our church who are, who are dedicated to instilling in their children a worldview that reflects God's word. Love it. We have, we have parents who are faithful to bring their kids to the ministries of this church. Middle school ministry, high school ministry, our children's ministry, camps, retreats. Love it. We should do those things. We have parents who are, who are do- devoted to teaching their children God's word in their home, praying together. Love it. We can do those things, but that will not give the child a new heart. We, we can also show them the way of life, model it for them, model grace for our kids. But listen, those things will not give our children a mind to love God. I think this woman we're reading about in her own way was absolutely trying her best to teach her kids in a new way, which is different than their culture. She was attempting to raise her up in the faith as best as she could. But you cannot give your kids a mind to love God, nor can you give them a will to choose to serve Jesus. We can't do it. And so what do we do? We can pray. We're right back to the other theme, right? What we can do is we can be a people of prayer. And so I would encourage you, if you're a parent and you are concerned about your kids coming to faith, if you've got kids that are what we refer to as worldly, that all they're interested in is how much money they're going to make and and how cool they could be and, and how much property they can acquire, all the things of this world. And if you're discouraged by those things, you don't see them at all seeking after God, here's the thing you could do, you could pray. If you've got kids who are wandering, they're in high school, and they don't seem to be going towards God, but away from God. If they're in college, and they seem to be straying away from the faith. If they're adults, and those kids just don't seem to care about raising their family in the context of the church, and for the kids to know the gospel, here's what we do. We pray. This woman had a problem with her child. She, she was concerned for her daughter. And she knew this. The thing that she could do was that she could absolutely pray. So we'll pray more for our sons and our daughters in the life of this church. Amen? Amen. And listen, we pray for the ones who cannot pray for themselves. You ever been in that position? You don't got the strength. You don't got the, the wherewithal. You don't got the awareness to pray for yourself. We can pray for the ones who cannot pray for themselves, and we do not rest until our prayers are answered, are granted. That's what we see modeled from this girl here, this woman. It's incredible. What a wonderful parent she was. What a wonderful woman she was. What a story of faith. And it's a great, great example for us. We should be the same. I would love to talk about parenting more, but let's move on. We'll do a series on that one too sometime, but let's keep on going. There's one more theme I want to touch on just briefly, and that's this, stretching faith. I call it stretching faith. You know, there's this interesting interplay between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. And it seems like Jesus is almost playing coy with her. Did you catch this? I mean, she comes and she asks a question and Jesus gives her kind of this unusual response. And you're like, okay, what's up with Jesus? Why is he, why is he not immediately saying yes to her? What's the deal, right? That's what you'd expect him to do. Well, I can't get into this in depth, but I will tell you this. In terms of the original language, it actually would be portrayed a little bit different. It would be portrayed a little different. 
It's translated a little clumsily, I think, in the English language. What he is referring to are little children and little dogs. That doesn't sound really great, but little children and little dogs in the original Greek, meaning to us that they're a part of the same household. And what this is really speaking to is the Jewish-Gentile divide, which we've talked about previously, we'll talk about again. That's what's going on here. And the Syrio-Phoenician woman is saying, yeah, 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 but what about me? When will my turn come? That's basically her answer back to him. And, And I see this, where Christ knows faith to be strong, and I think he knew the faith of this woman was strong, where he knows faith to be strong, he will sometimes stretch that faith. Look at what James chapter 1 says, verses 2 through 4. He says this, James does, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, there's this idea that testing, trials, stretching your faith, does something that God really desires to see in us, and that's to make us mature, to make us complete. And so where God sees a little bit of faith, he'll say, you know what, I want to stretch that faith. He's like a personal trainer who comes in and says, okay, I'm going to take what they've got, and I'm going to make them stronger. It's like God's gym. So whenever you're wondering, why, why isn't God answering my prayers? Why are these things happening? Why am I going through such difficult times? It could be, That God sees your faith, and he wants to increase your faith. He is stretching your faith through your circumstances. Great faith is faith that takes God to his word and will not let go until God meets a need or God meets the, the maturity in you. So we see that theme also in this passage. Okay, there's so much to talk about. We've got to talk about the purpose. The purpose of this passage, I would suggest to you, is to describe the mission of Jesus. So we've talked about the characters. We've asked, who are these people? We've talked about the themes, and there's some really good stuff in here. But I believe that the purpose, the main idea of this passage, is to speak to mission. Let me give you a few verses. You can drop these down if you like. John 6, verse 51. I believe Jesus addresses his, his mission here. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I love that he talks about bread here. You know, this passage, there's this bread metaphor with crumbs that are falling. Jesus says, look, uh, whoever eats my bread, I am the bread, will live forever. And what's he say? I give my life. I'm this bread and I give my life for the world. I believe we see that in this passage. This is important. So they're in this place called Tyre. And Tyre is a place that's outside the bounds of ancient Palestine. This is important because it's the only time, it's the only recorded instance of Jesus leaving Palestine. He went to Tyre. And Tyre was a very prosperous city. It was also a city that was known for basically being a bunch of heathens. These were people who who worshipped Greek gods, and there were many, many, many Greek gods. And there were all kind of weird, strange things happening there. Jesus went to Tyre on purpose, and it's to make a statement. The statement is this. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. All are sinners, and all need a Savior. That's his mission. 
His mission is to come and be the bread, to feed people with his life, whether it's through big pieces of bread or just even the crumbs, so that they may be brought into the family of God through his grace. That is his mission. And it's a mission that we share. And you see, Jesus was sent by God from heaven to give his life for the world. And that's all people. It's men and women. It's, it's people of all races, Latino, Asian, black, white. It addresses the issues of the day. It's for conservatives. It's for liberals. It's for maskers. It's for anti-maskers. The grace of God, the salvation of Jesus, the mission of Jesus is for all people. And that is the statement. That's the purpose of this passage. That's the main idea. Jesus is saying, look, I'm here for everyone. You're a woman, I'm here for you. You're someone who's from a different culture, I'm here for you. I have come to bring salvation to every single person to the world. I am the bread of heaven. And my bread will feed people and bring them into true life, people from all over the world. Listen, John 20 says this. This is a mission that we share in. John 20 says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So if Jesus is sent, we also join him in being sent. One of the purposes of this passage is to show this. Not only was Jesus sent, but we also are sent. And I got to say this. Here we are on the 25th anniversary of our congregation. And it's a wonderful thing to celebrate. It's a wonderful thing to say, wow, God, what you've done, what a cool building, what great ministries, what great people, what transformed lives. It's awesome. But we are not content because we are called to be a part of the mission of God. In fact, I would say this. We are sent to continue the mission of Jesus. That's what that passage is saying. When Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, here's what he's saying. He's saying, God has sent me on a special mission, and I charge you to go forth. And I charge you to go accomplish this mission of mine. That's what we're called to. So here's the 25th anniversary statement. We are sent to continue the mission of Jesus. It's the purpose of this passage. It's the purpose of this church, my friends. And you might wonder, how are we going to do that? Are we going to invite people to church? Is that what we're going to do? No, 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 no. More than that. We're going to take the mission to the people. We're not going to wait for them to come to us so we can fulfill the mission. We're going to take the mission on the road. We're going to take it on tour. We're taking the mission outside the church because that's where the magic is. We're going to take it to the people on the streets everywhere, just like Jesus. We're going to go to Tyre. What a cool place to go. Tyre, we're going to go to Tyre, and we're going to share the mission of Jesus, his life, the good news about forgiveness of sins and salvation through him and him alone. That is what we're called to do. That's what a church that's sent looks like. And so we're going to strengthen people. We're going to strengthen their hearts through worship. We're going to strengthen their hands through serving. We're going to strengthen their mind through biblical teaching. And then we're going to send them to to serve in the church, to serve in greater Pittsburgh, to serve in the world. This is the 25th anniversary message, my friends, that we are sent to continue the mission of Jesus. Are you excited about that or is it just me? Okay, come on. Okay, so let me tell you, this is a good story to illustrate this. There is a guy on our staff team. His name is Marcel Mason. Some of you have met Marcel. Great guy. Powerful testimony. Loves God. 
I was recently talking to Marcel, and guess who he also knows? Reverend Ragster. Remember the guy I told you about who asked me that question in his kitchen? He knows Reverend Ragster. He actually went to his church for a while. Marcel did. And, and Marcel was, 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 was talking with me, and I told him about that story about, Mar, about Reverend Ragster saying, what are you going to do with your life? This big question. And we laughed about that a little bit. But we also talked about the question, and Marcel kind of told me what his answer to that question would be, what his deepest desire as a person is. You know what he wants to do? He wants to start a prison ministry. Like, that's the thing that, that Marcel can't sleep over when he goes to, goes to bed at night because he's thinking about it. That's what Marcel gets up in the morning thinking about is he wants to start a prison ministry and go and, and minister to those who have no hope. It's really a powerful vision for his life. You know, Marcel currently serves in our wonderful uh, facilities team here. But I wonder this, what if we were to strengthen Marcel even more than what God's already done in his life? And what if we were to send him out? Maybe like he could be a person who's a pastor on staff here. Or maybe we could send him out to work at another church and be a, a, a prison minister in that way. Wouldn't that be amazing? Isn't that the kind of church we want to be? We want to be a church that is strengthening and sending people. So I'll ask a question to you collectively, church. What is our deepest desire? Is it simply to have services on Sunday morning? Is it just to have cool programs? Is it to have a, a stage with great monitors and lights and a great band? We love those things, by the way. It's awesome. We're grateful for them. Or do we really want to reach people with the gospel, as Pastor John talked about this morning on his video? That's how the church started. Shouldn't the church continue that way? What's our deepest desire? Don't we yearn to see parents strengthened in the faith? Don't we want to be a people of prayer? Don't we want to be those people who are strengthening and sending people to fulfill the mission of God everywhere? We do. Here's what I would say. If we do want to do that, and I believe we do, it begins with us being seekers. Just like the Syrio-Phoenician woman who was desperate for God, who was hungry for God, we are called to be people who are seekers. Will you throw yourself at the feet of God? Will you humble yourself before Jesus? Will you seek for him to be your Lord, your King, individually, collectively as a church? Let's be a people who are seeking after God. That's where the mission really begins for us. We're called to this same mission that we see reflected in this passage. To go and to share the life of Jesus with people everywhere. All people. And it begins with us seeking God. You're going to have a chance to do that this morning. We're, we're going to sing a song together. The band's going to come on here. And as they come out, we're going to stand to our feet. And we're going to sing this, God, and may this be your declaration that you say, God, I want to seek you. And we desire to be a part of your mission. Would you stand to your feet, please? As you do, I'm going to pray. God, we love you. And we thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this woman and her example of faith. Lord, may we be like her, seeking you. I pray, Lord, that we would seek to be a part of your mission as well, a mission that's for all the world. Use us at that end, God. I pray that we would strengthen people and we'd send them out. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your healing power. We need it, God. 
And as we are healed by your hand and your touch, we desire to live for you. Hear us as we sing this song. In Jesus' name, amen.